The real meaning behind your favorite songs. Not just big hits, but iconic culture-changing pieces of art. This is Anatomy of a Song on Feedback. Yes, yes, y'all, you don't quit. Yes, yes, y'all, you don't stop. All right, Sirius XM 106, it's volume, feedback, Nick Carter, Lori Majewski, and that is the latest anatomy of a song we're going to get into from Mark Myers. A couple of people on the phone we want to shout out first. It was Debbie in California who asked if somebody had sampled um, Ventura Highway. Uh, Nicole says it was Janet Jackson sampling Ventura Highway for someone to call my lover. I barely remember that, so I'll take your word for it. Uh, Stephen Alabama says, looking down the barrel of a gun. Uh, samples uh, Hand in Hand by Ocean. Bill in Detroit, this is a good one. To Live and Die in L.A. by Tupac Samples Do Me Baby by Prince. Jim in Ohio, 100 Miles and Running. Samples Herbie Hancock and Funkadelic. That's N.W.A. 100 Miles and Running. And Steph in Ohio, who's a dude, by the way. Ontario. Alessia Cara. Steph in Ontario. Steph in Ontario. Sorry. Steph in Ontario. A little, little north of Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> Alessia Cara here samples Portishead. And uh, shout out to Chuck D, the god, Public Enemy, Night of the Living Bassheads samples, just for like a second, samples uh, the intro to David Bowie fame. So, that said, Mark Myers of the Wall Street Journal is in the building. Oh my God. Hey guys, how you doing? So we could stop talking about all this synthetic music and talk about some real music, rap. Yeah, you know, in the Wall Street Journal, the uh, last anatomy of a song I did was uh, with Blondie on Rapture. Rap music is in the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, yeah. Mark's, Mark is the woke god, Laurie. The woke god. <laughs> yeah, Rapture's a bigger deal than most people think. Uh, most people remember the video and... Uh, I think. You know I think it's a I big remember deal. Fab Five yeah. Freddy and... <laughs> Fab Five Freddy in the white tuxedo yeah. and the top hat in the video. Yeah, Jean-Michel's in there. Yes! Spinning. Um, but, you know, most people sort of th- remember uh, the guy, the man from Mars with the white top hat and Debbie Harry sort of jerkily dancing along. And, you know, it just was sort of, most people I, thought of, I think sort of think of it as a novelty hit, but it's actually a much, <laughs> much bigger deal. Uh, the song was, just to recap for listeners, Rapture was released in late 1980 on Blondie's fifth studio album, Auto American. Uh, Rapture was then issued as a single. It was picking up at the club, so uh, they issued it as a single in January of 81. And by April of 81, it was number one on Billboard's pop and dance charts, same time. Um, it's th- Now, here's where it gets important. It's the first major rap hit to use original music rather than sampled beats. Now, you know, I can almost hear the nation echo, what about Rapper's Delight? Rapper's Delight by Sugar Hill Gang does come out in 79, a year earlier. Not but, a sample. But it, and it all... It, it, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it, <laughs> it's, uh, the reason we're laughing is that it uh, deeply samples good times. In fact, it wound, they wound up in court as a result of it. And uh, now Nile Rodgers actually sings that in concert. When they play good times, in the middle of the concert, they break down and he, do, he raps. Exactly, but there's a reason so he, he, for that. He's proud of it now. Well, more than that, actually. Um, That court case led to um, uh, Niall and uh, Bernard getting credits on that song. So they actually are co-copyright authors, which means paychecks. Um, But that only went to 36. Um, That was the peak. Um, This is the first major 
a hit for a rap song at number one. Um, the video comes out in January of 81. And where does it go? Where, where is it aired on TV? In, yeah. the, in the clubs? No, no, well, no. Well, when, if it comes out in 81, what's the date? January of 81. Well, MTV doesn't come out That's until correct. August 1st. That's so correct. Sony, if you went to certain clubs, and I wasn't of age yet, but if you weren't went to certain clubs, they had a, they had huge I screens. That. I mean- Solid I always, gold. TV yeah, solid, solid gold. Solid gold, but, and, and screens and no, I thought you were going to say palladium. And, no, it, it, it's on TV on solid gold. That's wow. where it breaks. Um and when MTV launched, uh, as Laura, you point out, in uh, August 1st of 81, it's the first rap video aired. Um, as we said, Sugar Hill, uh, Sugar Hill Gang's Rapper's Delight and Rapture um, are both actually inspired by Sheik's Good Times, which is such a major hit. I mean, such a roller disco hit at that time. And really takes, you know, the interesting thing about that song is it takes roller disco outside. I mean, by 80, 81... Every, you know, by, by, by 81, everybody's outside. Uh, it was 78, 78, 79 for good times. But they're all outside roller discoing, you know, in Central Park by the volleyball my courts. My schoolyard, I'll never forget. That was one of my favorite Christmases ever, getting my roller skates with the stopper. <laughs> yeah, those were the good ones. The yes. four, the four <laughs> wheels, four wheels on like a car rather than in a row. I agree with you. <laughs> I agree with you. Um, but I thought the only way to understand this song and the only other way to understand the genre is let's let's do a segment on rap history uh, because it's got a much deeper history than most people think and where it comes from is rather fascinating um, rap as we know it or rap as as the form starts in 78 and it starts in the Bronx and Brooklyn um, DJs for those uh, who aren't completely aware DJs known as MCs this is old school stuff DJs known as MCs held events at gyms and other venues sponsored by community groups and the police the police athletic league was very very big in sponsoring those events because they kept kids off the streets and away from subway cars with spray cans you know it was you know the cops set up these events at gyms and at local halls to sort of just give the kids a place to go and let off steam rather than uh, doing it where it was going to cost the city money of course today there are you know multi-million dollar prices for those doors of subway cars and uh, everything's um, everything's different um, so the big question though is why does this all happen in 78? Why not 74? Why not 83? What, what's going on in 78 that's so critical? Um, rap really is a funky substitute for disco. It was a macho alternative um, to disco's glittery and feminized Hollywood image. Um, it was sort of a macho pushback against where disco was going. Rap also was a pushback against, and it's pretty interesting, um, it, it's a pushback against the upscalization of disco, right? Because Studio 54 opens that year, and every, dozens of clubs follow suit both in New York and around the country. And so why should anybody care about that? What's the big deal? Well, VIP lines suddenly made it impossible for working class black and white kids to get in. You know, you heard about Studio 54. You saw Mick and, and Bianca show up there. You know, she's riding around on a white horse. Liza's there. It's a big Hollywood scene in New York and L.A. and, you know, all the major cities. Um, but working class kids, black and white, can't get in. And Hispanic, they can't get into these clubs. Um, 
so you know you've got rap MCs improvising rhymes over bass lines. It's 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 sort of cost effective too because there's no real investment. You don't have to hire a band, so they're just taking records and. The, the art of it is the creativity in the storytelling through improvised rhyme. And that's where, that's where the action begins then. Um, and they're rapping over bass lines and drum beats um, on records, uh, you know, records that were already out, but had strong beats and strong bass lines. And they just expanded these songs the way they did at discos with two turntables and a mixer. Um, eventually, these events become contests. So you've got long lines of kids up in the Bronx and Queens and Brooklyn waiting their turn to show their stuff. It's almost the verbal version of what breakdancing becomes um, to sort of show who can, who can cut rhymes better than, than the other, who can be more boastful and so on. Um, men, and, you know, there's something to be explored in terms of uh, women in rap at, during this period. It's mostly a male thing, but there are women. I mean, as I'll touch on uh, a bit a bit later, but, you know, women, women are competing in these things too. Um, many people think rap has a deeper history dating back to Muhammad Ali's <laughs> sort of rhyming taunts of boxing opponents, but it goes back much further, to be honest. Let's listen, you know, so we can illustrate a bit. Um, in 1946, here's Slim Gallard's Tisse Malay, and he's actually reading from a Turkish menu. I mean, he's rapping off of a Turkish menu. It's pretty funny. So there's freestyle, freestyle verbal um, uh, approach over music. Is it goes back in time? It goes back to bop, and it goes back to uh, earlier, earlier periods. Uh, here's 1948, two years later, with Louis Jordan singing "Petting and Poking." <laughs> of Jack and Jill, and I don't mean the couple who went up the hill. I just mean a couple of lovers that live next door, and they're always battling, and I'm trying to keep the score. They're always petting and poking and jabbing and joking and cooing and cracking and wooing and whacking. They so keep necking and knocking, singing and The humor is now built into it, right? Because because early this early this early stuff has a big sense of humor. Bebop and this whole period, there's a humor there's humor built into the art. Um, 1950, uh, Joe Hill Lewis, "Gotta Let You Go," um, is also pretty interesting in terms of freestyle vocal on top of music. Hey, Cal Georgia. Now, why in the world have you been? Gonna find your soul. I've been here all the afternoon trying to get something to eat. You down town now. So he's just improvised talking on top of music, which is what rap becomes. But let's move up to 71, because now, you know, all of this stuff, it doesn't have that electric bass yet. You got that scratchy guitar in there with uh, Joe Hill Lewis. But let's move up to 71 and uh, let's hear Gil Scott Heron. Yeah. You will not be able to stay home, brother. You 
will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. So, Jill Scott Heron is a big influencer on the rappers because that bass line, there was always a great bass line in there. And Gil Scott Heron was political and he also was very expression, uh, expressionistic. So you've got, um, you've got all the components there of, of the essence or the energy of rap. Um, it's just not freestyle rhyming yet, but you've got the energy. One more. Let's do in 1978. Um, this, is George, this is from Jamaica. This is George Wright and the Ovation called Mix Up. Now, Selector, if a boy adopt we want him for no, so we adopt conqueror, and we trap him forever. forever. All right, so that last one's important. Um, because Jamaican reggae has a much bigger influence on the development of early rap than most people think. Um, it's a big, big deal for a bunch of reasons. Um, in Jamaican street parties and culture, um, turntables and speakers and newly discovered vinyl, I mean, all you have to do is go onto YouTube and type in reggae Jamaica 1978 plus dub, uh, dub meaning a repeating, a repeating riff. Um, and you'll find hundreds and hundreds of these tiny micro labels with incredible reggae songs. So vinyl, party culture, street cults, uh, street parties, speakers, turntables, that's that's Jamaican culture going all the way back to the 1960s. And that does have a big influence on MCs in Brooklyn and the Bronx. And it also has a big influence on that. The reason I wanted to play that is that shout out. You know, he's got, he's got that shout out, which is really what rap becomes. <coughs> excuse me, really what rap becomes. Um, that shouting is, is pretty essential. So all of this is, is, a, is mixed like a stew. Uh, in New York. Uh, you've got the MCs, turntable events, gyms, rhyme competitions, Jamaican music. You've got earlier earlier uh, songs, um, uh, R&B songs. That's all coming together at the exact same time in 78. So that gives you the background of where, where rap comes from. Um, and as far as, as far as Rapture goes, back in 78 and 79, Blondie's Debbie Harry and Chris Stein were fairly adventurous. I mean, Chris is a photographer. So, I mean, both of these guys are serious deal artists. Um, they can sometimes seem like cartoon characters because Blondie has that image. Um, you know, sort of Debbie Harry was sort of positioned as this pocket Marilyn. I mean, you know. And it, That's a cute description, pocket Marilyn. Yeah, I mean, she's like this, you know, Marilyn's daughter or something, right? Um, I mean, that's how she's positioned. But these guys are deep into the culture of New York. I mean, they're into all kinds of things that are going on. Um, they lived together on 17th Street. Both were immersed in the New York scene. And during these years, which is also fascinating, 1978-79 in New York, <clears throat> and I remember this because I lived in the East Village, art Music and fashion are all coming together. Models, designers, musicians, painters, they're all socializing downtown. And it's creating enormous energy. It's creating graffiti art. It's create, you know, the, the work that uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat is, is creating. Uh, you've got the uh, stuff that F uh, Fab Five is doing, um, uh, Freddie. And then, you know, the music is changing. It's going from raw punk 
and it's going to new wave. But new wave doesn't happen in a, in a vacuum. It's because of this merging of fashion, art, and music that you get new wave, that you, you get a sense that music needs to be a little more commercial. It can be raw, but it needs to be a little more commercial to be diverse. And not as filthy. Yeah. That's kind of, because it's like gutter snipe stuff. Yeah. And it's like, how are we going to appeal to the masses? But also, I think people were sick of safety pins and filth, it, you know, it, and gutter that's sniping. The, that's the key, I think, you know, that it, it was repetitious. Um, anybody could kind of do it. Nobody sounded really different. No one was upping the game. Yeah, it's like evolve a bit. Exactly. So all of this stuff is part of that. Nothing, nothing happens in a vacuum. Um, so... You know, as I say, Chris and Debbie are, you know, they're very curious. I mean, they're very curious. They're very curious about what's going on, why it's going on. And there's no fear. I mean, they're just, they throw themselves into New York culture. Uh, so one night, um, Fab Five Freddy takes Blondie and Chris up to a Bronx rap event. Grandmaster Flash is there. Others are sampling, scratching. It was a police athletic uh, league event, actually, in the Bronx. And um, they're rapping over turn over over songs on the turntable. There's a line of kids waiting to get the microphone, um, and of course, the chief among chief among all the songs is uh, Sheik's "Good Times." Um, but you know, things things evolve. Do do we want to taste Grandmaster before we go out? Sure. All right. Let's let, let here's a clip I found of Grandmaster Flash and Mel Mel li live at Christ and King High School in Queens, New York, in 1979, sampling "Good Times." Interesting clip. Grandmaster Flash, behind the wheels of steel, New York's first and foremost, super cooper mixologist. That's 1979. Yeah. He put out a single, Grandmaster Flash, called Grandmaster Flash and the Wheels of Steel. Love that. And so he's, he starts with that, and then he, 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 he mixes into Another One Bites the Dust. It's sick. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break. A little disappointed, Mark. I was hoping you were going to get a little Joe Tex. Any legs and all in there, but maybe next time. We'll be right back. Uh, Mark Myers breaking down Blondie Rapture on Feedback. You're listening to Feedback with Nick and Laurie. into the history of the iconic hits that changed rock, R&B, and pop. This is Anatomy of a Song on Feedback. My band used to play this in high school, and I had like the tubular bells on the uh, the DX7. Uh huh. Didn't do it well, but you know we, we gave it a shot. It's volume. Nick and Laurie and Mark Myers is here. Yet another anatomy of a song. We're talking about that classic, Rapture by Blondie. Yeah, the uh, you know for the Wall Street Journal column, anatomy of a song. I interviewed Blondie uh, on Rapture, and Debbie and Chris are so great. I'm sure you guys have interviewed them before, but they're just. Um, you know they're 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 so deep into what they do, and they're so creative. Uh, it's always a joy uh, for me to um, to speak with them. As we were as we were talking, uh, Debbie and Chris are going up to these events in the Bronx. They're fascinated with this rap culture that's emerging. They sense that this is emerging, and it's going to be a big deal. Um, and so one night, 
Um, Chris and Debbie, they're sitting on the couch in their apartment on 17th Street. And this the- is my favorite part in your whole piece. <laughs> That's great. The, it's, they say it's all in the details, this detail. So they're sitting there, and they've got professional wrestling on TV. I mean, come on, only Chris and Debbie. Right. And they say it earnestly, right? right? When they said it to you, were they being funny? No, they were earnestly saying, well, it was And this is like pre-WWE. This is like the King Kong Bundy, like, era. And you just, know they're not making Andre it up. The Giant, no, like, Andre I, the Giant stuff. I mean, you, you just want to go, why? Yeah. Coco beware? Like, what are you doing? Well, Debbie, <laughs> Debbie explained it, because I did ask her that question. And, <laughs> you know, the volume's turned down. Um, you know, so it's really just a, a thing to watch. Um, but she said something interesting. I mean, she said, it's amazing what happens when you are, your eyes are occupied, your brain frees up, frees up, not freeze, but frees up in a strange way that, you know, when you're, when your eyes are locked in on something and they're sort of mesmerized or just watching abstractly, not watching for information that your mind, you know, frees up and really, really starts to um, uh, starts to explore and starts to develop things. Um, so one night, I guess you know. So so Chris starts fooling around on his guitar, and he starts fooling around with Sheik's good times, and he starts to you know get into it. And he turns to Debbie and he says, "You know, we should do a rap song and call it Rapture." And they both kind of cackle, you know, in a laugh. Yeah, yeah. And Debbie goes, you know, you know, we really should. Let let's do that. Um, so Chris tapes himself. He's got this little tr- tape recorder where you can tape different instruments and layer it, you know, four track. Um, and it's, it, you know, he after he records the guitar, he starts to put on a bass line that that he said was inspired by Chic bassist uh, Bernard Edwards. And then they turn to the words, and Chris writes the chorus lyric. And Debbie writes the song's three verses, which is really interesting. Um, and it's interesting to know who writes what because this, you know, it gives you a sense of of the art of these guys. You know, you just we see them visually, uh, Debbie, Harry, and and Chris and Blondie uh, as a visual thing. And you listen to the albums, but you don't realize the art that goes into this and and who's creating it and why they're creating it. Anyway, uh, one of the you know one of the verses is. Toe-to-toe, dancing very close. <laughs> if I could hit high high notes, I would sing it. Almost comatose. There you go. Um, wall-to-wall, people hypnotized, and they're, ste- and they're stepping lightly, hang each night in rapture. I mean, it's an interesting description of what, it's almost a journalistic description of what one of these, cl- one of these events was like with everybody packed together and uh, dancing to rap. I think um, this is one of those songs most people don't know the lyrics. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, that's interesting. I had uh, Debbie um, go over. I, I wrote out the lyrics, and I had Debbie go over every single lyric to make sure that um, I wasn't guessing or picking it up wrong, that it was actually coming from the Debbie's mouth, uh, so to speak. <laughs> fact-checking. Yeah. Um, but extra fact-checking. It's not just like saying, well, you know, here's what I've got. It's like literally look at this. And you know anything that's not right here? Let's 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 get it right. Are you so ever I, allowed to play that? Like I would have loved if you brought that audio in. Like that would have been great to hear her. Yeah. Sound out those because th- there were a couple of lines in here that I didn't even know. Yeah, I know. Um, so meanwhile, you know the producer, their producer, last last two albums. Um, uh, what was it? Eat to the Beat and Parallel Lines. Yeah, Mike Chapman. Um, he's getting restless because he's got an al- their fifth studio album is due and they've got to get it done. And 
uh, he says, you know, where are we with stuff? And nothing's fleshed out. I mean, their other two albums, they had song ideas. They had a bunch of song ideas that they could develop. And the answer he got back was, well, we've got The Tide is High. You know, John Holt, we're going to cover that. We'd like to do that. And he's going, yeah, okay, what else you've got? we got, you know, 10 songs to do. And they're like, well, we're, you know, we're working on stuff. So he's getting a little nervous because his job is to make sure, you know, he's like the, air, for those who don't know, a producer is like an air traffic controller. He's responsible for landing the plane. Um, so, you know, he's got to get things done in time. He's got to make sure everything's set up. He's got to make sure things can get executed. He's responsible for delivering an album to the record company. So they record at United Western Recorders in LA. Now, previous two albums were done in New York, but as Mike said, it was my turn and I wanted to record in LA. So we were recording in LA. That's why they're out there. So Chris and Debbie tell Mark, you know, they come out there and they go, you know, we have a really interesting idea for a song. It's called Rapture. So Mike says, okay, well, tell me about it. And Chris explains what they have in mind, what he and Debbie have in mind. You know, it's going to be like a chic thing, but it's going to be a rap. And then Debbie's going to rap and we're going to have, we have these verses. And, you know, so Mike goes, I get it. So he picks up a guitar. Uh, Mike, mo good producers can also play. So he picks up his one of his guitars and he plays, you know, the, the riffs, the, the rhythm guitar, um, while um, Nigel Harrison plays the bass, uh, of Blondie plays the bass line, Chris, uh, that Chris wrote out, Jimmy Destry plays the keyboards, Clem Burke plays a beat influenced by David Bowie's Station to Station uh, album, which I thought was really interesting that that was the main influence for his beat. Do you have Golden Years? Let's do it. And his influence was mostly Philly soul at that point. Of course. Young Americans. Yeah. But you can hear a Rapture feel. I mean, you can, you know, the, the drums are stronger on Rapture, but you can hear that four on the floor kind of uh, R&B feel, as, as Nick, uh, you just said. Um, and he also, he also name checks Chic in the form of Tony Thompson. And, I, you know, let's just stop for a minute and realize that, that this song comes from Tony Thompson on drums, Bernard Edwards on bass, and Nile Rodgers on guitar. And we hear time and time again, that they were nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They did not get in. Nile goes in alone. Everyone's like, oh, well, Nile's the producer. Nile's the Here's just another example of the power that that band, people cite those three artists, Tony, Nile, and Bernard, as some of the best musicians of all time. And the Rock Hall couldn't find a way to put Chic in. They needed to put it. Let's Nile go alone. back a little further. Big J McNeely isn't in the Rock and Roll Hall of no, Fame. No, but I'm saying these guys yeah. were nominated 13 times. Yeah, no, no. I ran totally into Susan agree. Lucci in the bathroom yesterday, and I, I was like, <laughs> I always talk about you because I, I always think of Chic and Susan Lucci as the unlucky, except she eventually gets the award. I love Susan. I interviewed her uh, for my house call column. She's just lovely, really lovely. Um, yeah, you're right. You know, what can, what can anybody say? I mean, you know, it's not Burke, fair. Clem Burke, one of the greatest uh, rock totally. drummers, and he's telling you that yeah. it's coming from yeah, Tony. So I, I just, I just, I was, it was something that came out of your totally. piece for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, so after the basic rhythm track is recorded uh, for Rapture, the overdubbing starts, which is pretty important. Now, overdubbing, for those that don't know, is a lot of stuff, a lot of texture, a lot of things you hear on recordings are added later. You put the basic rhythm track down, and then you start adding things. Uh, a better way to put it is you get dressed, and then after that, you know, it's a belt, it's, uh, you know, it's earrings, it's the accessories that go on after that uh, that sort of completes it. Um, so wandering around the studio, Jimmy Destry discovers was under a cover, uh, a set of tubular bells. That blew my mind. Yeah. 
tubular tongue. You hear them, but it just never occurred to me that those are actual, honest to God, tubular bells. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, it's like, hey, what about these? And, you know, Mark, Mike Chapman's like, yeah, you know, let's let's figure out a way to get them in. Um, for those that don't know what the this instrument is, it's fairly critical to Rapture, but I found a clip that just plays tubular bells for you. And once you hear this, you're going to know exactly that you're going to know exactly what that character or that ingredient is in the song. We have it. Go ahead. So that's tubular bells. It literally looked like the tailpipe of a car, basically. Perfectly put. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly it. Different sizes. And it, it, and you can hear that in very, it's a prominent, prominent ingredient in Rapture. And it makes that song, really. Um, so Mike also calls in saxophonist Tom Scott, who's probably the most prolific and legendary um, studio sax, tenor saxophonist, saxophonist in the business, dating all the way back to the 70s. Now, Tom explained to me exactly how he put this on the recording because the saxes play a very big role as i said to him you know it, it's fascinating how you did it because it almost gave it an average white band feel i mean there's a real funky horn thing um so mike you know mike calls in tom scott uh, tom tom tells me this and he says he recorded the he he did it by recording one line Whatever the melody line was, he put it in. Then he took one headphone off. He took the right headphone off so he could hear himself play. With And he told the booth to turn up the volume in the left ear of the first one. So he's got the first one playing loud in his left ear. And he plays the exact same line. He, he doubles up the line and um, listens out of his right ear. And now they've got a bigger and fatter single line of saxophone and then he adds one more sax line on the tenor he adds a, a, a line that's f paralleling this but a fourth below fourth below to give to add that harmony um, and that gave it an average white band sound here let, to, so that people know what the average white band sound is let's let's do pick up the pieces you got it Maddie, they're from Scotland. <laughs> Wrap your head around that. They're a bunch of white dudes from Scotland. That drummer, man. <laughs> this is so great. So you, you can hear the saxes prominently in there. Uh, that, that's the sound that's in Rapture. I mean, that is the sound of the saxophones in there. And then finally, Blondie, uh, Blondie guitarist Frankie Infante, um, he adds a solo using a, a BC Rich Six String Mockingbird guitar. Um, and he just gives it, you know, he gives it the rock it gives it the rock personality that uh, that is so cool. Uh, let's hear that guitar solo. It's at four minutes and fifty five in, which you know it's a wailing guitar solo, and it, you know it's extended on the album. You know you really hear it, and it, it, like I said, it it, it adds the, it adds a razor's edge. It, it takes it out of R and B. It just gives it a rock personality. Um, so. Hear those saxophones? All right. 
So once all the instrument stuff is done, right, all the overdubbing and everything else, all the instrumentation is finished, it runs about six and a half minutes, uh, maybe a little longer, uh, when, but they cut it back to six and a half for the album. Um, Mike, uh, Mike Chapman, the producer, says to Debbie, he said, okay, great. Now he says, you know, I can't do it. Is it Mike's accent? I love Mike. Mike is such a great guy. He says, you know, uh, great, you know, what are you going to sing? What are you going to sing on this section? It's, it's running six and a half minutes, Debbie. What, do you, what are we going to do? What, are, what do you want to sing? She says, oh, you know, you know we're going to do, I'm going to sing a rap. And he says, great, 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 great. He says, get out there. It's crunch time. Get out there and rap. Go ahead and get out there, meaning get out into the studio and rap. And Debbie says, oh, well, we have to write it. <laughs> this is like... Money, money is the, the money meter is going in the studio. Uh, Mike kind of freaks out. He says, he tells me, I, when I when I heard that, he said I assumed we were going to be there for a week or two working out these lyrics. It was like <laughs> such. I mean, it wasn't gonna. It, it's it was just gonna be like on and on, and we got to work on it some more. And this isn't quite right. And I don't like this. And let's start from the beginning. And this doesn't make sense. It's just gonna be. It was a nightmare waiting to happen. And he, I said, what happened next? Mike says, Debbie and Chris huddled in the corner of the control room with a pad and pen, and they were whispering and talking and writing. And 10 minutes later, he looked up at the clock, 10 minutes later, they were done. I, I can't even imagine this because Finished. this is a complicated, strange, odd rap. 10 minutes, done, finished. They had it all down. It's not like Moon and June, you know what I mean? This yeah. is rhyming like Subarus. <laughs> Sacralilia, yeah. I mean, it's weird. I know, I know, finished. So, you know, she says, we got it. You know, we're, we're set. And Chris sits down, he's got his sunglasses on, and Debbie goes into the studio, puts the headphones on, and Mike runs the music through the headphones. And Debbie wrote the rap's intro, but Chris wrote the rest of it the entire rap uh but debbie's intro uh you know that's fan five freddie told me everybody, everybody fly. fly dj spin and i said my my, my. flash is fast flash, flash is cool, cool. francois c'est pas flashé no, no do. do that's what really becomes debbie harry for me yeah like that totally she, she's not the first time she, she's like very into her little french yeah phrases yeah, yeah, my, yeah. Fa debbie. my favorite thing in the world is sunday girl in french i love that. totally and that's you know that's the whole. That's the whole thing. I mean. Nice. So I have to tell you, there's about 50 different versions of those lyrics online. Nobody, nobody has it right. I mean, it's like all kinds of things. Some of them aren't even French. Somebody interpreted them as like English. I mean, um, which is why I, you know, I had Debbie go over those lyrics uh, to make sure we had it 100%. So Chris writes about the man from Mars and all that other stuff, you know, lands on cars. And that's, Chris said that's all from the sci-fi movies he watched as a kid, you know, and, and then Debbie <laughs> chimes in. Yeah, yeah, like like giant ants from Mars, you know, it's like, it's just funny. The thing with Chris and Debbie, when you interview them together, they're, it's like, it's like new wave ping pong, you know, they're, they're brainstorming and f finishing each other's sentences. And, you know, it's just, it's fun to listen to them. Um articulate so that's kind of cool you actually talk them together not separate. yeah no i always I, it's for me i love interviewing them together um because they play off each other and they're different they have different uh takes but they have the same take the just different ways and they of bring it out of each it. other yeah and then debbie has this real debbie 
has an, has an interesting way of articulating, which is much more um, minimalist. There's like streaks of fascinating stuff, and Chris sews it together. You know, so you gotta, you really need them. the The only other, the only other pair that I interviewed together that I love interviewing together is um, Cynthia Weil and Barry Mann because they complete each other. You, you, you know, you just have to know when it's right and when it's not right. Anyway, um, I said to Debbie, so, you know, what did you think? What did you think of this thing? The whole rap thing, the rap song? I mean, did you take heat or what was it? And this is what she said. I'll read to you verbatim what she told me. I wasn't trying to be black or a Bronx rapper. It was an homage to what I saw and to a form that was exciting for us. We treated it with respect and handled it in our own way. And I said, you know, knowing what you know now, and you know, would if you if this were if we could roll it back to '78, what would you do different on on what you recorded there? And she said, you know, looking back, we probably should have worked on it a bit more. She said it's a it's a little sing-songy and childlike. Um, she goes, but it but it's evolved in performance. I feel it differently now, and I try to be more ad libby. So in other words, she's freer. You know, there's a there's a fr greater freeness to improvise and to be loose uh, which didn't exist at the time and wasn't it she her. did the rap in like two takes she yeah. yes uh That's mark nuts. mike chapman told me that uh, she did it once and it was a little bit rough and she did it the second time and it was finished ace done <laughs> that was it I mean, people don't get debbie harry you know they think that she's just um um pinup stuff and they don't realize that there is a sophisticated artist in there. But also a no-nonsense. Yeah. She, she's, she's kind of like one of those first draft people. She's the Chet Baker of oh. New Wave. You know what I'm saying? She's very casual, blasé, nonchalant, but there's a lot going on under the hood. I mean, Mark, you know? I've been in the studio with rappers who've done more than two takes of their raps. Which is insane. But I think there wasn't that much to base it on. So they yeah. didn't have to like think, oh, well, you know, should we do it like trap? Should we do it like this? There was, It was like so new that it was just her. She did it in her own vein. And keep in mind, there's a big difference. The rappers, uh, you know, Debbie was using a sheet of paper. They had just written this out. So she's got a yellow sheet of paper on the music stand and she's got her hands over her headphones. With with rappers, they may be you know improv improvisation right. coming off the top of your head is part of the macho of right, it. Right, right, for sure. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with more from Mark Myers on feedback. Right after this. <laughs> there we Stick around. Feedback with Nick Carter and Lori Majewski returns in just a moment. The making of a hit. This is Anatomy of a Song on Feedback. It's like, what is this, T-Connection at midnight or something? Nice. Mark and I were just talking about disco off air. Mark Myers is here for the Wall Street Journal, breaking down the anatomy of the song Rapture by Blondie. All right, let's do the, uh, let's do the top ten. This week... Um... Let's do um, rap influencers and Blondie influencers. Let's start. Uh, let's start, Matt, in December 1969 with Sly Stone. Oh, listen to that bass. Uh. 
Thank you for letting me be mice elf again. Sure shot. Don't stop. All right. Let's go to March 1974. Wow. Skin tight. You jumped me. We'll go back. Ohio players, skin tight. Yeah. Again, rap influences and leading up to Blondie's rapture. All right. That's been sampled a million times, too. Give me, uh, give me WDV. Oh, nice. <laughs> we just covered this recently. Listen to the bass. It's, oh, a, it's a rap thing. So good. Diamond in the back, sunroof top. White walls. Begin the scene with a gangster lean. This is a great song. It's, I mean, it holds up too. Big time. All right. Let's, um, the reason I'm not giving the title is I want Nick to freak out. Let's go to June 76. <laughs> George McCray. No, 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 no. Oh, no. I'm JT. Yep. It's Disco Lady, though. There you go. Oh. Again, big bass. You can rap over the top of it. And they did. All right, let's go to 78. Uh, this is, brings us right up to getting very, very... This is, We're in the rap era in 1978. Um, you got that one in um, September 78? Hit it. One nation under a groove. Larry, this is the unofficial black national anthem. (laughs) It is. (laughs) One nation under a groove. And this was technically considered a disco song. Yeah. Yeah. And then let's uh, let's do the uh, rap national anthem. The official one rather than the unofficial. This is the official one. (laughs) June 79. Work with me, baby. Chic. Good times. They're in order. They're in order. (laughs) I mean, listen to how tight that sounds. Incredible. It's nuts. Never old. And when that beat comes in, it's like a pulse. Yeah. Of course, if you really had that pulse, you'd be in the emergency room. (laughs) You'd be very hip. You'd be very hip. (laughs) So your heartbeat's erratic, but it sounds a lot like good times. But it's fire, though. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's do the the clone to that from, um, uh, let's do Rapper's Delight. So Sheik's Good Times was June 79. This one's September 79, just months later. So it's Good Times running underneath. And now do Rap and Granny. The Rap and Granny. Or Rap and Rodney. Right. 
1979, you know, women were involved in this movement. Lady B. This oh is 1979, God, yeah. Lady B to the beat, y'all. Again, good times underneath. And people forget the Sugar Hill Gang. They were nobody. Nobody had ever heard of them. Like right. nobody, no, none of the old school rappers knew. They were just like three kids that Sylvia Rohn found and just threw them in the studio. Now, there's no date on this, but it's late 1979 because Good Times is underneath it. If you turn it up, you'll hear it. Um, June 1980. Uh, <laughs> this is uh, Niles's. Uh, Nile, let me put this. Nile told me this is his baseline uh, because these the two guys were out together when he came up with it. But go ahead, hit it. June 1980. Oh shit! This is, <laughs> wow. this is Bernard's baseline. Sorry. But Queen's uh, Another One Bites the Dust. Okay, now this next song, and I asked Blondie about this, um, but I feel, I, I, I don't think, Good Times was a big influence, but I think when they produced, it was a different chic song that was the big influencer, perhaps for Mike, perhaps for Blondie. But you'll hear why I think that's the case. Um, this is from January of 1979. It's chic. But go ahead and hit it and listen to those tubular bells. I know what this is. Yep. Yep. This is the production of Rapture. I never right? put I never put I want your love together with that. Crazy. I mean you could run Rapture back and forth with I want your love easily. And now let's uh, let's do let's do Blondie's Rapture, but this is a unique version. It they they merged uh, the Doors, Riders of Riders on the Storm, with Rapture. Go ahead, hit it. I remember this. Yeah. I mean, in a second, you'll hear Jim Morrison on top. Isn't that great? It's fantastic. It's such a great track. Riders on the storm. Into this house we're born. I mean, for all I know, my way, you could do my way with this. Uh, <laughs> this. <laughs> September of my years. Yeah, I was saying earlier, you know, I mean, Rapture. I was saying to Laurie earlier, Rapture's great, but I mean, they never get the credit. Like old, old school hip hop heads know. Like that Wild Style album, you know, with Busy B and Cold Crush Brothers yep. and Chris Stein. Yeah, I know. I know. You know, they, like I said, they were open, they were curious, they were emotional, and they were extremely artistic in how they could bring things together and make it commercially viable. I can't believe you brought up Rapid Granny. I forgot that was a thing. <laughs> Rapping granny. <laughs> she was so cute. R.I.P. Oh, my God. Yeah. All right, Mark. I can't thank you enough, but we can't thank Thanks you. Thanks for having French. me on. At SiriusXM Volume, we've tweeted out his uh, piece, uh, Anatomy of a Song. Always a good time. I, I think we'll have another one next month, hopefully. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. 
All right. And uh, listen, uh, Larry Flick is uh, a little under the weather, so he won't be here tomorrow. So tweet him and say, get your ass back to, uh, you know, feedback. And Fierce, 1 p.m., Danita Sparks, L7. Make sure you listen, please. It's a good one. You made my shit list. L7 rules. All right, have a good day. Peace out, bitches.